0: Hey, it's the FinTech newscast. My name's John, and with me, as always, is Steve. How are you doing these days? Hey, John, I'm well, enjoying the cold Bay Area summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indoors, definitely. If you're in uh, Silicon Valley or San Francisco, it's, it's still winter, uh,
1: it's apparently. Not it's not great.
0: Crypto winter, VC funding winter, all kinds of winters.
1: Summer uh, winter, but, yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. The normal uh, San Francisco uh, Bay Area uh, summer winter but not so much in the payment space. Uh, you know, we've been hit a, a little bit, but uh, still doing really well. A great example of that is BlueSnap. We are lucky to have the CEO and board member of BlueSnap, Ralph Dengelmeyer. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, John. It's great to be here. I guess, what is our topic? Winter is coming? Is that what we're going to talk about?
0: It is. It's is its been around uh, this this whole year, pretty much. Certainly, if you if you're a crypto guy... Uh, but what what do you see across the, the fintech sector? Do you, do you think um, this is just a mild break or?
2: Over the last 30 years, we've had three or four little breaks. And I think it's sort of a mild winter storm that we're in. And um, I think it's going to continue for a little bit longer. But I, I don't think this is something that's going to last a couple of years. Um, I think in some ways, like all these things, a little correction adjustments, always good. Right. We get it makes us more efficient. It makes us focus on our core business. Um, it makes us really worry about what we want to do as we go into the next chapter and, and focus, focus more. So um, I think we're in a little bit of a of a winter in the payments area, but it's it's not going to be a drought or a storm or something that's going to put us all in in double jeopardy.
1: So to dive a, a, a bit uh, deeper here off, we understand that uh, maybe about a year and a half ago or so, it seems like something like half or close to half of all VC investments went into the fintech space. And as you say, there's been a a, a pullback on that. So how are you weathering the fact that there's maybe more uh, a more strict funding environment now? And is that something that you're, that you're concerned with at, at BlueSupp or have you gone beyond a skill where you can sort of operate on your own without having to go out and get more public funding or more um, VC funding, rather?
2: Yeah. So we're we're fortunate that our funding was provided by two very reputable and strong private equity firms, Great Hill Partners and Parthenon Capital. And those two firms had done a majority of our funding now, eight years ago in 2014, when we first really relaunched BlueSnap as a global payment facilitator, and back in 2014, both John and Steve, I don't know if you remember, people didn't even know what it was. So those guys had a lot of foresight to invest in BlueSnap and try to build out, build out this global payfac, which now operates in 47 countries and serves thousands of merchants across the globe. So we're not out looking for huge amounts of capital. We've already done all that. So if there is going to be a downturn, it sort of came at a, at a good time for us. Um, we do see a small impact on some of the clients that they're not getting... Maybe extra capital if they were early in their cycle to grow. So growth rates are down for some of our customers, but not tremendously. We're still going to have a good year. We're still going to grow, and most of our clients are as well, but not at the pace that we saw in two thousand twenty-one or twenty-two.
0: Wait, wait, what? What is Payfac?
2: (laughs) Payfac. The question of well, Payfac is payment facilitator. It's the ability. Um. For BlueSnap to open the bank account and move money and pay merchants, sometimes it's called the PSP, um, and 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 that that that's the definition, obviously designated by by Visa.
0: And payment orchestration.
2: Payment orchestration is a little bit of a new term, and I just came out of a a week in Europe where that was the most asked question: "What is payment orchestration, and what does it mean to you?" and And there's a lot of definitions out there, and I will say it seems like people define payment orchestration to whatever their product is. But if I'm trying to be um, clear about what payment orchestration is, it's really about three things: it's the ability to move money globally it's the ability to use alternative payment types so not just cards ability to use alternative payment types and it's the ability to turn on and off services by geography or by product. so to me i love this word orchestration Because maybe just I'm from the the great city of Boston, and we have a famous orchestra, the Boston Pops, and I've been many times. And I think of, you know, turn on the horns, turn off the horns, you know, add the flutes, take out the flutes. We need some bass. We don't need some bass. And that's really how global merchants want to go to market. They want to pick and choose when they want to be global, how they want to go global with global payment types, and what services they want to turn on and off, like, fraud or 3D secure or taxes or how they handle things like buy now, pay later. It gives them the ability and flexibility to do that. So that's what payment orchestration I think, means to the market. And that's what we've evolved to.
1: Speaking of how you do the payment orchest- orchestration now, can you walk me through sort of what are the steps for when you onboard a client? I'm always curious about how companies uh, assess their client's pain points and how they can um, in- involve what they have into building a solution for them. So can you just walk me through that journey, what it looks like from um, from the first contact to then having a successful implementation of BlueSnap in in their services?
2: Sure, Steve. Um, so first of all, we're pretty selective in the clients we work with. Um, most of our clients come from referrals. Most of our clients come from um, banks or partners. Two thirds of the clients we engage with, we never end up doing business with. So we're I think we're pretty selective why are we selective? Number one is with each client, we write a solutions documentation that says of the two over 200 API calls, this is the exact way we think you should go to market in Australia, Canada, Europe, Latin America. So we're very prescriptive. We write a solutions document, we run through all the clients. <clears throat> Number two, when we do that, we find that we get a better use of what services to turn on and off for those clients that they can choose to turn on and off, I should be clear. Secondly, you're gonna now get a much higher authorization rate because you're doing things in what we think is the best, uh, highest chance of success by the card brands or the alternative payment methods. And secondly, we actually have a built-in router that helps them route the transactions and we do it for them to the lowest cost provider. So we don't take US cards and send them over to Europe. We don't take European cards and send them over to Australia. If they have entities in those areas, we route those transactions to the right area. So we minimize the cross-border fees, which is really the big secret in payment orchestration. It's how do I increase my authorization, lower my cost, and maintain compliance with all of the ways I'm going to accept payments. And so uh, in order to do that, we have to, Provide them a roadmap, which is what we do.
1: In terms of of the roadmap, we, just, we say that it's more of a, a sort of a consultative approach to client onboarding. Um, is there sort of a playbook or a, or is there a playbook or a pain point that you see more frequently in, in customers that you can replicate across the different types of customers that, that you serve?
2: Yeah, it is. It, li- it it is a little bit of a consulting sort of assignment. We call it a discovery document, which turns into a solution document. That's our internal words. We actually use that with clients. And yes. I see the very similar pain points. I'm going to give you two use cases that we see quite a lot. I think that was Steve, right? Yep. So Steve, we see <clears throat> pain point one. We see I'm going to call it a more simple pain point is somebody started off on Square, Stripe, uh, PayPal, and now they've migrated up and they they've they've outgrown them. We like to say they graduated from what we call startup plat- predominantly startup platforms. And when we do that, we find that they're sending most of their traffic to one country. Um, because of that, they're getting lower auth rates and they're paying higher fees. Secondly, they haven't built the routing tools correctly. To, to, to They have to look at their own routing tools to decide what card it is and where it should go. And most say SaaS platforms don't really know how to do that. Um, And then the third sort of key we see in there is that the services aren't deployed right. They don't have 3D secure turned on correctly. They may not have the fraud engine optimized, they may not be using alternative payment types correctly. Um, So it's more of an education story for them on how do they increase their costs and lower, increase their auth rates or increase their acceptance and lower their fees by using these sort of tricks that we've learned um, or our playbook. That's one use case. The second use case is almost the exact opposite. You might get a middle market business that's processing hundreds of million dollars online. They know, because they came off of a startup platform, they know that they need multiple, uh, they need to keep transactions local. So what they've done is they've gone to multiple providers. They get a bank in Canada, they get a bank in Australia, they get a bank in Germany, they get a bank in France, they get a bank in Ireland. So now they get five banks. Now they've got to keep all five banks in sync. If Apple Pay comes out, I got to do it five times. If their fraud engine's got to be updated, I got to do it five times. If 3D Secure comes out, I got to do it five times. So now you've created this pretty big technical debt that you have maintaining these platforms and trying to keep the checkout experience um, easy and simple through all five platforms. So a lot of times they give up. And they say, this isn't our core competency. Who do we, who can we hire to do it? And they really are looking for payment orchestration. And that's when we come into play. That's another very good use case. So we take and we call it converting from multiple payment providers to one. And so that's a a second most common use case. So those two are sort of the most common use cases that we see here at BlueSnap.
0: And you said Uh-oh. two two-thirds of the people that you talk to, potential customers, you you don't even take. So they don't fit uh, one of these models or
2: yeah, they don't so so a couple of a couple of things. They're either too small, um, they're you know price shopping in one country. Um, maybe it's a business category that we don't particularly want to be in involved in. Um, maybe they come in and say, we just want to use you for one country, not the other five. And it's just the effort we have to put into making a client successful isn't worth it for the volume they're giving us or the type of business we want. But we don't think they're going to really expand and be the client we want. So that's right.
0: Do you ever get pushback from uh, marketing or, or sales, uh, trying trying to get more customers? <laughs> uh, and then you're like, well, we have to be disciplined and we have our target.
2: Yeah, right. we do. Oh yeah. Yeah, it happens. All happened to me this morning. Yeah. Um, they're all uh it's funny, I'm gonna get in a little bit of the inside of blue snap, but we literally have uh a process internally that people can rebuttal and say, you know what, we think it does make sense to 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 do this merchant this way, and we'll do some larger brands, for example, um and, and, and for a piece of their business. So they do have a chance of rebuttal, and I'm on some of those calls. And uh, there are many times when we will change our decision and and, and take something that either we haven't done before, like a recent rent platform or maybe an area of the country that we're we're newer to. um, We will do that. We will. But uh, we all got to get on the same page and all got to agree. There
0: there is that discussion or that uh, interaction a little bit, yeah.
2: There is, yeah, and it and it happens two or three times a week
0: all over the world at this point, and in well, uh, a a lot of different uh, business sectors. Uh, I yeah, saw something well, about a health, uh,
2: yeah, yeah, press release. I, yeah, we're so we're in a lot of different sectors. You're right. We're doing SAS and manufacturing and retail and health and education and legal and elective surgery and charities. So we we do a lot of businesses um, for sure. We are uh, licensed and registered in forty-seven countries to process. We have cli- we have obviously clients in all those countries. But we also have people in most of those countries, which is which is a big deal to be a global payment facilitator. Um, and that's taken us. Yeah, when you say been around for a while, it's it's taken us a good ten years to get that kind of coverage. And we are one of the few people. I think there's only, you know, five or six payment facilitators folks that really have that kind of coverage around the world
0: does that include uh well you must have a good number of employees for this uh this many type of uh areas that you're covering um does, does uh I, and i always ask this um i don't some people might not be interested but i'm always uh, scared of the compliance uh, uh part of the thing so is uh, is that a big part of your headcount
2: it's a big part of our headcount and compliance to us falls into two big buckets, right? We have what we call statutory or, or regulatory compliance where you have to be licensed in places like, you know, England and Israel where, where we are. Um, so that's one part of our sort of compliance team. And then the second part of our compliance team is what I'm going to call Sort of card compliance and and payment type compliance, right? So you need to be compliance with the, with those rules as well. And every now and then there's a there's some ambiguity; they may conflict. But generally speaking, we 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 find we've got two groups of people, two teams that 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 look after those folks. And um, every time we go into a country, that we get certified to make sure we are 100 compliance with that country, and then we got to maintain and watch all the new regulations and rules that come out. Um, so it is a big part of what we do.
0: So what's the next big step for blue snap? I mean, you're you're all over the place. you you cover a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Um what uh what, what obstacle uh would would you like to remove to that that would help you guys grow bigger?
2: Well, I think the, I think we've made a really good name for ourselves with people that understand payments, and I think most merchants that are sort of in the middle of the market in these in these one of these 47 geographies know who we are. Um, We've always sort of been, we used to call it the all-in-one platform. We sort of rebranded to the payment orchestration platform because that's what we're always building to. So I love the name. So I think people know, so we'd love more people to know who we are. I think the second big thing is the last couple of years, we've been approached by SaaS platforms and by FinTech platforms actually, to enable them to white label and resell our technology. So I think that's also another form of in payment orchestration for platforms or for fintechs. And we call that embedding payments into a platform. So embedded payments, um, we're, we're, we're newer at that. It's gone on the last couple of years. We've had massive success with lots of uh, multi-billion dollar platforms who are rolling blue snap out. We've seen the sales of those platforms to their merchants go up about tenfold in the last couple of years. So it's been, it's been a good new market for us. And I think even though it's a couple of years old, I think that's our new venture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Certainly getting a a lot of hype and uh, a lot of demand. Yeah. I I, I see that everywhere. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So to me, you know, maybe it was fortuitous, maybe it was luck, maybe it was, you know, good strategic planning, but Payment orchestration, payment orchestration is a great buzzword and it's a great terminology it describes exactly what we do. And embedded payments describes exactly what we do. We're embedding our payments into a platform that's reselling it to merchants. And we think if you want a global view of that, if you're a platform wants to sell to globally to merchants, you don't have a lot of options. Um, we're one of the few that can do that. Really well.
0: Yeah, well, that 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 does mean you have a a, a growth path because uh, yeah, it's a, certainly a big area. Uh, you work. You mentioned you work with uh, a lot of fintechs, and you've certainly been in the industry for a while. Is there any uh, advice, since uh, a lot of fintechs are listening, uh, that you would give? That some mistake that you see people make uh, pretty often that that uh, you would give advice on. <laughs>
2: Yes, uh, and I, I see the, a very similar mistake. Um, people are always trying to sell, solve a tactical problem. We always get a call saying, we're in the U.S. now, we're trying to solve Canada, or we're in England, we're trying to solve you know the U.S. And they don't look at the next three years, <clears throat> and they make a very tactical decision to roll something out. Either it's a customer driving it, or it's the board driving it, and they don't understand the consequence of what they did. They've locked themselves in. And the unwinding of those tactical decisions is is become a pretty big job. And the analogy I give you all the time is it's like you got a house that he's remodeling, and, and you're going in with no no master plan. You just did the bedroom and then you did the downstairs bathroom, then you did a garage, and you realize now your plumbing doesn't work. And it's just it, it just seems like you you spend all this time. Doing a plan for your product or your company, and then you don't really give payment strategy the same respect. And so it becomes extremely difficult. I think that's one mistake. I think the second mistake that people make is everyone's rushing to become a PayFAC, and they don't really know what that means. And they don't understand that they can actually get the same or better economics by partnering with people. And we call embedded payment sometimes PayFAC as a service. And they also realize they can't become a payfac internationally because they don't have the capability of the licensing um, that they need to actually become a payfac. So now they're a payfac in one country and they're not a payfac in the other, and it becomes another mess. So what I see happening is these fintech providers, these SaaS platforms are going to go down the path that I just described the merchants where they're going to have with five providers and they can't integrate at all. And I won't name names, but... You probably see these commercials on TV. You see them on golf shirts all the time when you're watching golf. Those companies have made those mistakes, and now they're trying to unwind it. And um, so our advice is, you know, know, make a decision, look at it over three or four years, and make sure uh, it's deliberate in what you're doing with your payment partnerships and integrations.
0: Yeah, we, we have talked to fintechs where there, that was the, uh, uh, kind of the decision point. Uh, go focus on one customer or one area and, and just be about that versus uh, building up to take on the market. Uh,
2: exactly. Exactly my point, John. We see it all the time. We get calls saying, I got a customer in England. It's got a problem. I got a customer in Mexico. Got a problem. And then, you know, they're like, well, can't we use what we've already built? I'm like, no, because what you built doesn't work, you know? There's no plumbing in the garage. We can't you can't put a faucet in the garage. You gotta do all the plumbing over again. And it's um it's amazing how many FinTech people uh, make make that mistake. So apologize if we uh disrupted any on the call, but but that is what we
0: see call. <laughs> No, no, no. I love to get a, that analogy. I'm gonna use that. Oh, Steve? Oh, there's no plumbing in the garage in that one. No,
2: pipes are gonna freeze,
0: buddy. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. Plan ahead. Plan ahead.
1: <laughs> you spent, as you mentioned, thirty years in the space. We've noticed how um, payments went from being sort of a backwater of FS to becoming more prominent nowadays. now we're seeing sort of a a, a bit of a dip in both, uh, I'd say, features launching and f- the features being launched, as well as funding in the industry. Um, what do you think payments and payment orchestration will be in the next five years or so?
2: well i think where we're heading steve is it's got to be global it's got to be multiple connectivity to, to you know to multiple networks right we're talking about not just cards but alternative payment types open banking up a little area crypto as well we keep even though crypto is not in favor that's still going to come back right we all know that that that's that's got to be part of the equation um and i do think it is way it, it it part of this is moving the money right so the option is can can we move the money versus some of these um payment orchestration around or just technology that don't move the money and it's very hard sometimes to move money outside of the United States without the right licensing and products and then the last part of it is you know we are moving i think into embedded banking finance and so these merchants are you know especially on the smb side are going to be looking to their platforms more than their banks they're going to be looking for banking lending cards insurance they're going to be looking for that kind of stuff because they don't have the technical resources to integrate to multiple providers to get a service so i'm going to call that the salesforce.com effect right yeah. I, I bet on my crm i'm buying the module that's integrated because i don't have the technical skills to do integration myself so these platforms are going to become a real big deal in offering embedded banking and payment orchestration in the future.
1: Are you uh, at all f- um, fairly positive in the idea that you know looking at payments in a, in a more broad manner as well, that we'll see some disruption coming from cryptocurrencies or, or any sort of DLT-based technologies in the space as well? Or are you a believer in it, that basically we'll stay with the... Fiat currency as the primary mode of transmitting, uh, value.
2: Okay. Um, so I'm a, I know crypto is in a little bit of a, a, a rot right now. And, you know, by the way, I don't mind a little more regulation on these guys. I think
0: mm-hmm. if they're
2: holding, if you're moving money, you should be regulated. So I'm a big believer of that. And nothing
0: we, could go wrong. What are you talking
2: about? <laughs> nothing could go wrong. I ain't. <laughs> so, so let's, let's make sure we. I'm on the record for saying that. However, I do think this concept of stablecoin and being able to transact using fiat currencies, using stablecoin is a big deal. And I do think that is being overly punished here with cryptocurrency. So I think that is going to be something going on. Because if you think about it, where disruption comes when there's high margin or opportunity to reduce costs, and let's face it, the FX is a pretty high costs, right? You're paying anywhere from 50 to 500 basis points. And a lot of times people don't know it. And what crypto does is normalize that in a lot of places. So I really, really think that is going to come back. And that's going to be a big part of what people offer. It might take a few years, but five years from now, we'll be talking about that. Just like we're talking about payment orchestration and open banking.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, we're going to put you down to follow up in five years on that prediction. (laughs) Uh, But otherwise, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast and uh, giving us some really good insight into what I can vaguely describe uh, as payment orchestration.
2: It's it's payment orchestration is here to stay.
0: Yeah. All right. That's Ralph Danglemeyer, the CEO and board member of BlueSnap. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news. And thank you for listening.